This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. What do you think 2024 is going to hold for people with disability? What are the trends? What are the challenges? Rabia Khadar has some predictions. Rabia is the director of the national director. Got to get that right, Dave. Get the title right. National director of disability without poverty. Hey, Rabia, good morning. You'd think I'd get that right by the time we've spoken for like the 10th time. Hey, good morning, Dave. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. All right, Rabia, let's start with the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. Right before the holidays, the fourth review was finally released. It was scathing, utterly scathing on the state of accessibility in the province. Uh, what are you? What's your reaction to that report and maybe the broader picture of what it means for accessibility in the province and the country? Dave, I feel terrible because, you know, for for 16 years, I was a part of an accessibility committee uh, at the city of Mississauga. I chaired it for eight years. Since 2005, we've been talking about, you know, Ontario will be fully accessible by 2025. <laughs> it makes me feel terrible that we miss the mark so badly. I don't think we can make up all the work that needs to be done by 2025 in the next 12 months. Yeah, to, to me, there's no doubt that they're, they're not going to hit the goal. And that was, that was pretty much Rich Donovan's conclusion. He says that accessibility in the province is at an absolute level of crisis. But, Rabia, what really concerns me from the perspective of sitting in this chair, the AODA was oftentimes touted as a foundational piece of legislation for the Accessible Canada Act, for other provinces' uh, disability and accessibility-related acts. So if Ontario, who was the forerunner, who was thought to have created the template isn't executing that leaves me with a really negative feeling across the country with a lot of this disability legislation well dave the key is it needs a champion driving it and i think that championing was there when the legislation was implemented and adopted but over time that sort of government driven passion has riddled away and i mm. think that essentially um means that it's left up to organizations across ontario to choose to do or not to do um, either they adhere simply to the letter of the law and just check mark off that they did an accessibility plan and they did this one-off training uh and you know they lowered the counter or whatever it is but they're not doing it wholeheartedly with the passion that and intention that it needs to achieve the essence of it the fact that we have to apply universal inclusive design principles to get rid of all the barriers and also make sure that we're not exacerbating existing barriers or creating new ones. Like 
there's the legislation you know created those standards <laughs> i'm 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 getting really passionate about this as you can tell mm -hmm. um the oda its predecessor legislation really didn't have much so the new legislation the aoda came out with standards right so that there would be something concrete measurable people would be accountable it would be enforced there would be um, fines for not meeting the accessibility requirements. Now, what's happening there? Why have we dropped the ball? I hold government accountable for that. Yeah, like you said, there's got to be a champion here, and it has to be a consistent effort with goals and benchmarks and standards, and it really feels like maybe that has been lost sight of, whether it be the last six years or even the last decade. Uh, people have been sounding this alarm for a long time about the way in which this needs to be handled, the, the, the implementation needs to be handled, and uh, it, it's a reminder about what is a broad idea needs to be executed properly to get to get the results exactly, that you Dave. want. Exactly, Dave. And, and, you know, I just kind of mentioned a particular sector to you that shall remain nameless for now, <laughs> where, you know, they have an accessibility policy, but that policy in its essence is discriminatory as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there next time. We'll get there next time. Yeah. We don't want to we don't want to tip the hand too far here. OK, Rabia, let's switch gears here to the workplace. There is a huge push and pull. I would even call it a battle right now between employers who want to go back to an in-person, office working, or workplace model of labor, and a lot of people who are still pushing back wanting remote work. And that is that is an issue that can easily have a disability lens applied to it. There were a lot of people with disabilities who were very optimistic about the rise in remote work and what that was going to mean for people with disabilities. And now as some of that debate is really raging and the pullback is pulling the other way, how are you looking at remote work heading into 2024 as a disability issue? Well, again, we need to give people choice. Disabled people who face significant transportation barriers, who face barriers in, in terms of just, you know, their personal care needs first thing in the morning, having the, all the supports that they need to get ready for work and to get to work, really, really appreciated the fact that through the pandemic, what they had fought pre-pandemic long and hard for and often were denied became a norm, work at home, because it benefited able-bodied people. Well, able-bodied people over the course of the pandemic realized that this was a win-win for them. Working at home, they could you know, cook while they were uh, doing their job and have meals prepared for their kids. And if their kid wasn't going to school, they didn't have to rush looking for a babysitter. They could just have them sitting there doing their things, supervised by them while they work. Uh, you know, they could manage appointments in between. Like there was just so much flexibility and practicality in terms of their work-life balance. People also had the choice to go to the office if that worked best for them, if working at home, you know, wasn't as conducive to their needs and their lifestyle and, and their needs to, to be socializing and working in, in teams and stuff. So choice is key going forward. I think employers are going to have to look at the fact that they can have more productivity on a day like this if they give people the option to work at home. If it's not essential for them to be on site, 
Why not on a snow-filled day like this where traffic is raving havoc? Why not on a day that they're not feeling so well, but they can still do the job from home, otherwise they would be calling in sick? There's so many bonuses to being a flexible employer that allows people to work from home in this country. Rabia, this is related because it's also connected to pandemic times. Last week, the show welcomed on Dr. Angela Chung, who's one of the best long COVID researchers in the country, to talk about the state of long COVID in the country and some of the uh, treatments that are now available for people who are experiencing symptoms of long COVID. How are you perceiving this issue developing in 2024? Well, again, we're going to see um, people, you know, COVID's been making another round. So we're going to see more and more long COVID coming up. And people are going to require that flexibility in the workplace and in, in society. Like they're really going to um, need the support to be able to work flexible hours, to be able to work from home. People with disabilities in particular who have experienced long COVID again, have barriers that have been exacerbated as a result of long COVID. So their accommodation needs are gonna evolve. So COVID is is going to have, and long COVID is going to have long-term impacts in society and in our workplaces. Let's shift on to something positive to wrap up the conversation. Representation of people with disabilities in the media. Rabia, it really feels like down the stretch of 2023 and into early 2024, the trend is really starting to move in the right direction. Absolutely. We are seeing more and more representation of disabled people by disabled people in the media, in arts and entertainment, in television. We're seeing more of an investment as a society in ensuring that people with disabilities are represented in cinema, for example, in you know, on screen. Uh, it's no longer good enough for an able-bodied person to play a disabled character. We have disabled actors and entertainers taking to the stage, taking to the screen, and we're creating space for them. And, and I think the best example was uh, the uh, recent uh, award ceremony in which uh, the first blind actor with a guide dog was seen. Yeah, Mia Labati, the, uh, the star of uh, All the Light We Cannot See, uh, brought her guide dog yes. onto the uh, red carpet, which was super cool. A few other examples, uh, entertainment reporter Laura Bain brought the attention of the show uh, Echo, the Marvel show Echo, that is starring an actor that is a hard of hearing. So you're definitely beginning. Now, it's it's been going on for a while, but it really feels like it's starting to take center stage rather than a side conversation. It's not, oh, here's one or two projects that are platforming actors or artists with disabilities. It's many, many, many shows, including uh, on AMI, DJ Demers, one more time. You can find another episode of that, uh, that show tonight. Hey, uh, Rabia, got to get out of here. Thank you for this. Have a great day. All right, thanks, Dave. That's Rabia Khadar, National Director of Disability Without Poverty. In one minute, Laura Bain will have the entertainment report. But first, companies are developing robots to take care of your pets. Mike Dubusky barks out another edition of Tech Trends. 
The pet robotics area has been coming along for a few years now, kind of since a company called Companion in San Francisco got things going. Brian Cooley is the editor-in-chief of CNET. He says a company called Oro has garnered attention for its dog companion robot. It is an actual little robotic device that looks kind of humanoid, a couple feet tall, moves around on its wheels. The company says it's designed to keep an eye on your dog when you're not there. And what it can do is use a camera and LiDAR, not unlike a self-driving car, to monitor your dog in terms of where it is, what it's doing, what its mood and activity are like. And it can even interact with your pet. It can throw a ball to engage the animal in fun. It can also use treats with a separate robotic feeder to engage in training, all while you're not around. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. The things we do for the furry friends that we love. Don't forget, tomorrow morning at about 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, a game of useful or useless will be played utilizing a couple of different pieces of technology that were unveiled at CES. So you want to make sure to tune in for that one. That's going to be a lot of fun. Let's bring in Laura Bain for the Entertainment Report. Laura, the 75th Annual Emmy Awards were held last night to talk about the best in television and streaming. Mm-hmm. That's right. And we saw uh, somewhat of a repeat with the Emmys of what we saw in the TV categories for the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice Awards. So Succession and The Bear were the big winners of the night. They won six awards each. Uh, this included for Best Drama Series uh, for Succession and Best Comedy Series for The Bear. Now, uh, Beef also was a big winner, taking home five awards. That's a series that I enjoyed this year. And that included Ali Wong winning for lead actress in a limited series. And this made her the first woman of Asian descent to win a lead acting Emmy. Uh, Now, some of the talk this morning around the Emmys, some of the buzz is around its diversity and inclusion, unlike some other uh, recent awards ceremonies. And also worth mentioning that actor Christina Applegate, who has multiple sclerosis, presented two of the awards, and she appeared on stage with her cane, receiving a standing ovation. A whole other conversation, how we feel about someone receiving a standing ovation when they walk out on stage with a cane, but um, (laughs) also also some complexity there when she's living with a degenerative condition, of course. What might might make her feel good and might make the people in that audience feel good might not be something that is so broadly good when we think about the way that people perceive disability. And maybe we just leave the inspiration porn there for the moment. Yeah, for sure. Um, And last thing I just want to highlight from the Emmys was that Elton John won an Emmy for his Dodger Stadium special. And this makes him a member of the Elite EGOT Club. So having won an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. So big big night for him oh elton john well done getting that e got love it yeah he had a knee injury so he wasn't he wasn't able to attend but uh did apparently find it very very meaningful well, so well maybe if he'd walked on stage he would have gotten a standing ovation with his knee injury overcoming I his did. knee injury like that <laughs> yes i did have that thought as well <laughs> Um, So in the spirit of television, I just wanted to highlight a couple of series that are coming out in the next month or so on some sort of common common streaming services that I think people have. But I have a feeling we probably have to move a little quickly here and I'll just ask your your thoughts on them. Don't race here, Laura. Like the sort of I think you've got four here. Just give the brief descriptor just so everybody knows what's going on here. 
So we've got Avatar, The Last Airbender coming out. This is one that's really been anticipated for a couple of years. It's a live uh, action adaptation of the animated series. And so that and that was 2005 to 2008, the animated series. I don't know. I wasn't into it then. But this is coming to Netflix on February 22nd. Uh, there's also going to be a reboot of the 2005 movie, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I should clarify, a TV reboot. Uh, so not starring Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie this time, but starring Donald Glover and Maya Erskine. And just a reminder that Mr. and Mrs. Smith is based on a married couple who discovered that they are both spies for competing agencies. This one has also been anticipated for a few years. There was some uh, casting changes there. And folks can find this on Amazon Prime. February 2nd. Um, we have Masters of Air, which is a World War II drama developed by Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, and Gary Gatesman. So some big names there. Uh, this serves as a companion to Band of Brothers and the Pacific, and it's been Nazi Germany. And the now, the last series that kind of jumped out at me was uh, The New Look. This is also Apple TV. This is set in 1940s Nazi-occupied France. I'm sort of noticing a lot of World War II yeah, stuff. Yeah, a lot of World War II stuff. Holy smokes. I'm not sure what's going on with that, but uh, this is a period show that traces the rise of Christian Dior, played by Ben Mendelsohn, and his new look, which defined high fashion in the mid-20th century. And that's airing February 14th. Valentine's Day on Apple TV. I guess it's actually going to ha have to compete. I think that's the day that Love is Blind comes out okay. on uh, <laughs> on Netflix. So it's going to have to compete with that. Now, for me, I think that the new look is the series that jumps out at me just because I love anything that's set in in Paris. But what about yourself? Do any of these kind of pique your interest? Of the four that you have described here, the only one that I'll probably go out of my way to watch is the Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And that has a lot to do with Donald Glover. I'm just such a fan mm -hmm. of the work that he does. Uh, he burst onto the scene when he was a star on Community, like burst onto the scene, was such and so clearly like ahead of the game. And then of course his hip hop career under the moniker of Childish Gambino. You cannot tell the story of hip hop in the 2010s without talking about Childish Gambino. And then you follow that up with the show that he essentially drove, which was a TV show called Atlanta that was amazing. So I think if only to continue to follow the career of Donald Glover, who is a super duper duper superstar, who's still super young, like he's still a very young man. I, I, I just think the guys had pretty much exclusively hits, no misses. So I'm going to take the Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah, you're making a case for that. And, you know, um, Amazon Prime is one of the t streaming services that I have. I did have Apple TV Plus. I don't have it right now. So I kind of, you know, shuffle back and forth between different ones. So that might be one to check out as well. There you go. Hey, Laura, thank you for this. Have a lovely day. Thanks, Dave. That's Laura Bain with the Entertainment Report coming up after the break. A couple of news stories for you, including a teacher's strike in Saskatchewan. That'll be part of the regional news update. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in beautiful streaming audio at amiplus.ca. Hey, 
Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.